John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where you can find us tonight. John chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 19 through 29, John chapter 1. You know we're in Advent season. Last week, Dr. Waybright uh, preached about the prophets. Tonight, this next, uh, next phase, this next Sunday, this next emphasis is John the Baptist. So tonight, uh, we'll be talking about John the Baptist, this forerunner, uh, who was who's given the privilege of announcing the coming of Jesus Christ. So as we move in our Advent celebra- celebration, let's hear these words from the Lord. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ, they asked. They asked him, "Uh, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Here it is. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent uh, questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Uh, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one uh, you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And finally, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. God, we pray that in these moments tonight that you would help us. Uh, just for a few moments tonight, we pray that you would just silence uh, the, the running through our minds, uh, the agenda for this week. Uh, God, we pray that you would silence all of the chaos that comes from our to-do list, all of the pressure um, that, that, that seems to arise as we take on finals, those of us that are in school. and God, God, we just pray that you would consecrate this moment, silence the cashing, the ringing of the cash register, as we think about the things we still have to buy for this season. And we pray that you would just give us an opportunity in this moment of silence and tune our ear to your voice so that we might hear from you tonight. Oh, God, we pray that this word would penetrate our hearts and transform our minds and produce change in our lives where we so desperately need it most. God, we pray that we would get in our cars and leave this place tonight transformed by the power of your word. So God, as we ask these things, I pray, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You are my Lord. You are my strength. You are my redeemer. Amen. 50-inch Samsung HD television, $798. Upright vacuum cleaner, a name brand, special sale, $27. 
Samsung digital camera, 10.2 megapixels, $69. And DVDs on sale, all for $9. These were all bargains that were advertised that amassed this audience, this crowd of some 2,000 people outside in the parking lot in Long Island, New York, at a Walmart on Thanksgiving night around 9 o'clock p.m. This crowd would stand waiting in line all night long, ready to make their arrival and their entrance at Walmart the first thing in the morning. And this crowd of 2,000 would literally break in the store. Uh, As the doors would open, the uh, report comes back and says the metal doors were literally broken. And in their haste to go in and taking advantage of these great bargains, one of the workers there at Walmart would face sudden death. Young 34-year-old temporary worker there at Walmart would die this day because of the trampling of the crowd. Chicago Tribune asked a bystander who watched all of this happen, a young lady by the name of Kimberly Cribs, asked Kimberly Cribs, Kimberly, what did you see? What did you experience? What did you see as you watched this whole catastrophe go down? Kimberly Cribs would say, I saw savages. They were savages. Kimberly would go on to say, when the co-workers came and when they made the announcement that one of our co-workers have been killed, one of our co-workers have been killed, they made the announcement. Kimberly Cribs said that she witnessed people look at the co-worker and say, We stood in line all night. We will not leave. They made the announcement, one of our coworkers has been killed. Will you please leave the store? We have to shut down. Will you please leave the store? One of our coworkers has been killed, but they said, we have been here all night. We will not leave. And Kimberly Cribb said that they kept on shopping. As we get here at this second week of Advent, we talk about John the Baptist, the one who in history is known to make the announcement this Sunday in Advent services all across this world. We talk about and we celebrate this forerunner, the one that would come and make the announcement of Jesus Christ. You've got to understand, John the Baptist was a peculiar individual. He ate locusts and wild honey. He was a peculiar individual, but his assignment was crystal clear. John the Baptist was asked, who are you? Who are you? He was real quick to say, no, 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 no. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not Jesus, but I am a voice. I am a voice calling out in the wilderness, said his voice, sounded and rolled like thunder. He said, I'm a voice, I'm a voice sounding like thunder, calling out into the wilderness saying, prepare ye the way for the Lord, prepare ye the way for the Lord. So John the Baptist was a preacher's preacher. He had a great voice and he was one that would stand flat footed and tell you what thus said the Lord. And he went and he prepared the way for God. His job, his assignment was crystal clear. It was to prepare the way for God and to announce him on sight. He was to prepare the way for God and he was to announce him on sight. John the Baptist, he would stand and he preached and he prepared people for the arrival of the coming king and he prepared them by teaching them about three things, by calling them to three things. John the Baptist with the voice of thunder would say, repent, be baptized and live differently. Repent, be baptized And live differently. John the Baptist, he would stand flat-footed and he would preach and he would say, repent, 
Turn from your ways. This idea of repenting is I'm going down a path and I stop and turn and go the other way. He was calling people, stop, turn, come the other way, repent, turn from your ways and go the other way. Repent and be baptized. This idea of of washing, of being made clean, this idea of, of being refreshed, being made new. He says, don't just turn, but turn and then come and be baptized, be washed. Be cleansed. I remember many times growing up in the heat of Mississippi where uh, it was 100 degrees outside and the humidity was 100%. Uh, many times that would give me a proclivity uh, to, to perspiration uh, like nobody's business. I remember coming in the house and my mother recognizing my presence before I showed up because my aroma uh, had preceded me in the home. And she, would, uh, she, she coined this phrase that was only fit for me. She would say, son, you smell like outdoors. Uh, and, and she would encourage me to go and, and, and take a bath, uh, knowing that in that washing process, it would wash off all of the uh, stank and funk from the outside in a hope that I might be refreshed and create a sweet savor in my mother's sweet abode. Uh, 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 so it, it was this idea of being cleansed. And John the Baptist, that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, come in from the outside, turn from the wicked ways of this world and go in and be cleansed be washed, washing off all of the things from the outside from this world and being made fresh, being made new so that you might create a fresh aroma in the nostril of our God. Go, repent, and be clean, be cleansed, be baptized. Third, and finally, he said, repent, be baptized. And I love this one. He says, live differently. It's basically simple, simply put, Live a life that reflects the fact that you've repented and that you've been baptized. Don't, 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 don't repent, be baptized, and then go back to living the same way that you were living before. He says, repent, turn, be baptized, and keep walking in that direction. Don't turn and go back to your old ways. Repent, be baptized, and recognize that that baptism causes a change in how you live. Repent, be baptized, and live Differently, His assignment was clear. He was a peculiar guy, but his assignment was crystal clear. He was to prepare the way, repent, be baptized, and live differently. And secondly, he was to make the announcement. He was to make the announcement of who Jesus was. Not many days later, the next day, John drops down in in verse 29, and he says, Jesus is walking up, and in that moment, John the Baptist declares this announcement, this announcement that the Jewish community had been waiting on for some hundred of years, this announcement that they had been praying for this day that they had been waiting for had been great anticipation waiting on this moment and then john the baptist makes the announcement he says look the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world he says look it's the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world. Now, now you must know, being a Jew growing up then, these words had heavy implications, had heavy implications because when they use that word lamb, it, it, it creates a context in the Jewish mind because it would go all the way back to Genesis chapter 22. Are y'all with me tonight? It would go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, tra- chapter 22, where Abraham and Isaac have a predicament that they find themselves in. See, Abraham is told by God, take your only son Isaac and sacrifice him 
to me. Take your only son, Isaac, and kill him. Take his life. So now Abraham, Abraham being the man of faith uh, that he is, he grabs his son out of obedience to his God, and he begins to walk up with two servants in the wood for the altar. And he begins to walk up this Mount Moriah. And as he's walking up Mount Moriah, Isaac, knowing uh, this experience, knowing having, having done a sacrifice before, he knows what this is supposed to look like. He knows how this is supposed to go down. And as they're walking up Mount Moriah, Isaac stops and says, Dad, I see the wood for the altar, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? <laughs> Abraham says, God will provide. So Abraham tells the servants to stay and they begin to walk up Mount Moriah and prepare to sacrifice and they get there and Abraham builds the altar. He, he, he builds the altar and he takes his only son and places him on the altar. And then Abraham out of obedience to God takes a knife, lifts it above his son's head, and is about to sacrifice his son. Now you've got to know, you've got, you've got to stop and think about what is, what is Isaac thinking? What is Isaac thinking in this moment? As he's now strapped to the altar, young Isaac recognizes and realizes at this point that I am the sacrifice. Young Isaac is looking up and he says, I am about to die. I'm the sacrifice. My only father is about to take my life. I am about to die. What was Isaac thinking as he looked up and saw his father's rough, big hand? And at the end of his hand, he saw the sharp edge of this knife that was literally about to take his own life. Isaac is looking up, recognizing that I am about to die. This is it. My father is about to take my life. My life is about to be sacrificed. I am about to breathe my last breath. I am about to die. And to have Abraham holding the knife and, and out of obedience to God, he begins to drop the dagger and he hears the voice of God say, Abraham, Stay your hand over in the thicket is a ram. Abraham quickly grabs his son off the altar and takes the ram and places the ram there on the altar and begins to sacrifice the ram. Once again, Isaac. Isaac is looking at this ram looking at the blood streaming down on the ram's body, listening to the squeal, the squeal of the ram as it faces sudden death. As Isaac looks in the eyes of this ram that is now being sacrificed and now dying right before his very eyes, Isaac looks at that altar and says, You took my place. He, he, he looks at that ram and he has to know this ram is dying in my stead. That was me. That should have been me. I was the one that was supposed to die. But this ram, as I see the blood coming down and the squeal piercing my eardrum, this ram is dying in my place. 
This becomes a ritual here in the Jewish community because every time they would come to the temple, they would take a ram or a lamb or a turtle dove or a goat or a young calf and they would place it and it was right there as they would enter right there on the altar. Right there you would see and hear animals being sacrificed. Recognizing that that animal, that lamb, is dying in my. So now when John the Baptist says, behold, look, the Lamb of God. He's literally saying, look, the one who will take your place, the one who is sent from God who will take your place. This is the one, the Lamb, the sacrifice, the one that will die for you who has been sent from God. Look, the Lamb of God, the one who will take your place. Not only does he take our place, not only would they look at that and say, uh, be excited about him taking their place, but it was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not only, not only did he die, but he paid the price for my sin, the debt that I owed. He Pay the price. See, the problem with the lamb is that every time they would have to come, they would always have to kill another lamb because uh, 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 the sins were always perpetual in their lives and they are always living victim to the sin, never having victory over the sin. So they would always have to bring a lamb. So every time you went to the temple, there was always a lamb that had to be killed. There was always a turtle dove. There was always a goat. And the problem with these turtle doves and these lambs, once they died, they were still dead. The lamb, still dead. The goat, still dead. The, the turtle dove, still dead. The, the The ram still dead, but Jesus Christ, this ultimate sacrifice would be dead for one, two, three, three days. But early on the third day, Sunday morning, he would get up with all power in his hands, taking the power out of the sting of death, taking the power out of the hand of sin and providing a way for us to live a new kind of life. See, through the power of Jesus Christ, we now have access to a new way of living. That power that he got up, that strength, is the strength that we now live in today. Not only did he die, but he got up with power. So John the Baptist, when he comes, (laughs) when he comes, this is the announcement that he makes. Behold, look, the Lamb of God, the one who will take our place. Behold, look, the one who takes our place and pays our debt of sin, pays the price for our sins. The Lamb of God. This is the announcement. The question is, the Lamb of God has now come. And we celebrate the Lamb of God, the one who has paid the debt for our sin. The question is, are we still shopping? Someone has died. Are we still shopping? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, has paid the price so that we can live a different kind of life. Has it affected us? Has it impacted us? Or are we still shopping? 
<laughs> I don't want to ju- make, make an overarching judgment or an indictment on my dear brothers and sisters who were at this Walmart on this, on this Friday morning because the reality is I'm sure many of them would, like, uh, would, like, would, would be like me, uh, going, taking advantage of a great deal, a special offer, and they go there in excitement and great anticipation of mounting their new 50-inch television screen, screen and on all of the excitement, someone trips and someone falls and, and something happens and, and all of a sudden, unexpected, unanticipated, someone dies. That's understandable, but the problem becomes uh, when, when the announcement is made, when the announcement is made uh, of, of, of a worker saying, our co-worker has been killed, would you please leave the store? And they say, no. We've been standing in line all night. We've been standing in line all night. So in spite of your announcement, we will keep shopping. Did you not hear the announcement? Does it not, does it not register? Does it not matter? Is it insignificant to you that someone has died? Will you continue your same path? Are you so consumed with your own personal selfish desires that you won't stop? And that compromises your ability to stop and recognize that someone has died. And what I'm saying to us, in 2008, right here in the warehouse, this Sunday night, is someone has died. The announcement has been made. Jesus Christ has given his life for your sins and mine. And my question to you is, will you keep shopping? Has it it had any impact? Has it, has it transformed your way of thinking, your way of life, your way of action, your way of loving, your way of living? Has it had any impact or have you kept your regular pursuit of your life the way that you want to live it? The announcement is, look, the Lamb of God has come. Are you still shopping? Have you paused to consider that there's one greater than you? Have you paused to consider that it's not your will, but it's his will? Have you paused to consider the implications of him dying for your sins and paying your debt? Or are you still shopping? The question becomes tonight, as we celebrate this second Sunday of Advent, as we celebrate the announcement of 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 Christ's coming, question becomes, how do we respond? Every announcement has implications. The question is, how do we respond to this announcement that has been made? I would submit to you, friends, tonight that we respond how John the Baptist prepared. I'll say it again. I would submit to you tonight that we respond how John the Baptist prepared. What's our response to this great sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made? Number one, we repent. We repent. Someone has died for your sins and mine. And the first thing that we do is repent. This idea of walking in this path of ungodliness, walking down this path that we know that leads to destruction, walking away from the divine will of God, walking away from who God has called us to be, stopping and turning and walking back to God. Some, some of you, you may feel as if... I'm walking down this path because I don't have any other choice. I'm walking down this path because I don't have any other options. I'm stuck in this relationship. I'm stuck in this circumstance. I'm stuck in this situation. I'm stuck with these issues, and this is just my pill to swallow. And I'm here to tell you, no, you don't have to continue down this path. God always allows U-turns. You can stop and turn. Repent. 
and be baptized, be baptized. See, the problem, the problem with the baptism that John offered is it was just an outward cleansing. It was, just, it was just a refreshing, and it was still in their own strength. What we offer now, when Jesus Christ got up from the grave with all power in his hands, the power of the Holy Spirit was unleashed in the earth. And now, as opposed to walking, having God walk among us, now God can work within us. So this idea of being baptized as we immerse in water is just an outward symbol of an inward working that the Holy Spirit is doing. And what that means is the Holy Spirit wants to flood your life. Be baptized. Be be flooded with the presence of God. Be overwhelmed with the presence of God. Be completely taken over with the presence of God. Be flooded with his presence. Repent. Turn and be flooded with the presence of God. And live differently. This is where it gets sticky. Because it can be so easy for us to celebrate this idea of, yeah, repent. Be baptized. Then go home and throw a Christian party because that you'll never have another day of trouble in your life. I mean, shoot. Loving people is just going to come easy. If somebody's going to slap you, you're going to be like, here go my other side. Take another slab. You know what I mean? And we just think that it's just going to come natural, that this loving people that you don't like, you're just going to go home and the girl that got on your nerves in the next cubicle, what you've been wanting to cuss out for the last six months, you're just going to walk up and be like, oh, I was praying for you all night. God bless you. Here, borrow $10. No, it ain't going to work like that. You're going to take that $10 and you're going to want to slap the taste out of her mouth like 10, 7 times. But it's not a matter of all of a sudden being so overwhelmed that everything good and beautiful rises to the top. No. You've been saved more than six minutes. You know that's not true. Ah, this, this idea of living differently. I'm sorry, friends. It requires sacrifice. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't even come natural because we have a proclivity, a bent towards sin. Evil is natural and easy to us. I know some people may not like me saying that, but easy comes, evil comes easy. And now James says when you are drawn away by your own lust, the stuff you like. Somebody say my own lust. Oh, come on, pat your little evil self and say, come on, my own lust, my own lust. There is, there is stuff that you like. There are things that you desire outside of the will of God, and God knows, and, and God knows it, and the enemy knows it. He knows what you, he knows what you like. Ben, what's, what's up? Ben, how you doing? Ben, know, the devil knows your lust. If your lust, let's say, was six-foot-tall blondes with big ears, guess what? As soon as you come out water baptized, you're going to walk out in the parking lot and you're going to see a six-foot-tall, blonde, big-eared girl saying, Hey, Ben, and you're going to have to be like, Oh, no, Jesus, save me. Because you will be drawn away by your own blonde, big-eared lust. Tell somebody else put that in the sermon. That's what I'm talking about. That's preaching. Shoot. And to all big-eared, blonde girls, that wasn't an offense. You know, so don't take it personally. It's this idea of being, of, of recognizing that this life is a sacrifice. It won't come easy. Even Paul, Paul, Paul in, in Romans, he says, he says, when I would do good, evil was always there. He says, every time I tried to do the right thing, the wrong thing was there calling me. And it felt like there was a war going on in my members. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Then he says, I thank God that through the power of Jesus Christ, and the grace and life, this new way of living that I have, I have now the opportunity to have victory 
over this body of sin and death, but it requires a sacrifice. It won't come easy. It won't come natural. It requires a sacrifice, a new way of living. For those of you that study Paul, you know that Paul always has this framework. Nine times out of ten, he always starts with doctrine, and he always concludes with duty. He always starts with doctrine, and he always concludes with duty. Doctrine, what he does and what he's going to work in you. Duty, our responsibility in response to what he has done. Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 all about what he's doing, all about his doctrine, all about him pulling us together as this unexpected family. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, all about our response, our duty to what he has done. Romans, the same way. Chapters 1 through 11, all about what he has done and this victory that we now have over sin as we come into this family, this inheritance that we have. That's all doctrine. He closes chapter 11 with the doxology pauses, and then he begins with duty, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, present your bodies. A living sacrifice. He says, he says, your response to this great work that's been done on the cross, present your bodies. A living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. It, it really is a paradox. A living sacrifice. Because everything I know about sacrifice means that there's a death, but he's saying that I live. Living sacrifice. Could it be that he's saying as you live for him, you have to die to yourself? As, 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 as you live for God, you've got to die to your own ways. Of course, that's what he's saying. We see it. He says in the Gospels, the writer says, uh, if, if you're trying to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. He says, if you live for me, you will die to your own ways. There's this process, this idea of a living sacrifice that he calls us to. There's a song that we used to sing at camp that really helps me wrap my mind around this idea of, of becoming this living sacrifice. John the Baptist, uh, as he prepared them, they, they prepared in their own strength. But this song encourages us to do it another way. It says, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, a place where your presence will dwell, pure and holy. God, take, take out all the stuff, stuff that, 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 that's not like you and, and, and make me look more like you. Pure and holy, tried and true. And it says, and with thanksgiving, with a grateful heart, I'll be a living, living in the power of your strength through your resurrection. Sanctuary, Lord, for you. There's a second verse. I didn't know it. This young girl from Africa came over and she taught us the second verse. It goes like this. It says, I lay my body upon the altar. Lord, please do a work in me. When was the last time you said, God, work in me? Not, not in my neighbor, not in my spouse, not in my kids, not in my classmates, not in my professor. But God, do a work in me. It's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I lay my body upon the altar. When was the last time we laid before God and said, God, take your sharp dagger, take your sharp knife and do a work in me. Carve out what's not like you. Bring out the things that puts, puts, puts your stuff in me. Take my stuff out as I live for you. Cause me to die a death to myself. I lay my body upon the altar. Lord, please do 
a work in me. My attitude, that's not right. Work in me. God, the, the, my, my, my difficulty in trusting you in areas where I know I should trust you, God, work in me. Where I love, where I stumble with loving other people, God, work in me. And my prejudices, God, work in me. And my stinginess, God, work in me. And my finances, God, work in me. Work in me, work in me. Somebody say, work in me, Lord. Somebody say, work in me, Lord. I lay my body upon the altar. Lord, please do a work in me. Next line says, and when you're finished. (laughs) So good to know that this world is not our home and that God is not done with us. He is not through with us. This isn't our final destination. We're living this life to live again. And when you're finished. It helps me understand why someone can, as I struggle to try to figure out how in the world can someone be killed at a Walmart and what am I supposed to do with this? God, I'm a pastor. How am I make a sense of that? He says, don't worry, Albert, because I'm not finished. He says, but when I'm finished, you'll be a living sanctuary for me. The announcement has been made. The Lamb of God has come. He has died for your sins and mine. He has paid the price, the debt that you owe. How do we respond? Repent. If you're sitting in this place tonight and you know that you are not right with God, If you know in your knower that you are headed down the wrong path, the path that you are on doesn't lead you to God, it leads you away from God, and you know it. If I were you, I wouldn't get in my car tonight without stopping, pausing, and turning away. You you may feel like, I don't have any other options. I feel like I'm stuck in this path. Listen to me tonight. You can stop and you can turn. Repent and be flooded with the presence of God. You say, well, God, Albert, my life is out of control. Everything about my life, my relationships are out of control. My emotions are out of control. My money is out of control. As I look at my life, nothing about my life says anything about order or any control. And I would say to you, you are a perfect candidate for the flooding of the Holy Spirit because he comes to take control. In every, hour, in every area that has chaos, he comes to bring order. In every area that's out of order, he comes to bring and to set your life in order because he knew your life before you knew life. He knows your plans better than you know your plans. So I would say submit to the flooding power of the Holy Spirit and allow him to take full control of your life. You don't have to go home out of control tonight. You don't have to go home not knowing what the next steps are going to be. All you have to do is make one step towards Jesus and allow the power of his Holy Spirit to consume you. And the consumption, this this flooding, brings about a peace and a refreshing. Lord, prepare me. God, get us ready. Get us ready. Work on us tonight. Repent. Baptize us. Flood us so that we may leave this place. And live differently. So our prayer tonight is simple. Our request tonight is simple. The power of the Holy Spirit would prepare us. Because the announcement has been made. 
No longer do we have to live and shop the aisles of sin. Tonight we can stop shopping. The announcement has been made. And a new way of living is available to each and every one of us. So our prayer tonight is simple. Lord, prepare us. We sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, will be a living sanctuary, Lord, for you. God, tonight as individuals and our families, uh, as a corporate body, we, we, we confess this to you. We say we lay our bodies upon the altar. <laughs> God, please do a work in us. It may be uncomfortable, but do a work in us. It may not feel good, but God, do a work in us. Lord, please do a work in us. And when you're finished, <laughs> we know that the one that started the great work in us will be faithful and completed. So when you're finished, we'll spend eternity with you living out this life in your eternal glory. So prepare us tonight. As you sit and as in the spirit of prayer, as this prayer resonates in our hearts, we pause tonight to remind ourselves of the sacrifice Jesus Christ made. Jesus, when he pulled his disciples together, he says, I'm about to go and prepare a place for you. But when you come together, as often as you come together, I want you to do something to remember me by. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to have this, this ritual, this opportunity to come together, and I just want you to pause as a community, and I want you to just to stop and reflect and remember what I've done. Says, take the bread because this bread represents my broken body that was broken for you. Says, take, take this wine as an offering of my blood. And I want you to take this bread and take this wine and I want you to eat and drink as you remember, as you remember that I am the Lamb of God who paid for your sins so that you can live a new kind of life. So that you don't have to keep shopping. You can live a new kind of way. We're going to sing just a little chorus of this, Lord, prepare me, and then Jeremy's going to lead us in some worship. As you take time and as you pray and as you spend time with God, there are three tables down each aisle. Please take time and come around the table and eat, drink the broken body and the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ as the Lord prepares us, makes us ready to be a place where he can dwell.